This episode may contain content that could alarm or trigger some people. Listener discretion is advised. Reflection is is a, a really powerful tool, I think, to look where you've come from and where you are and go, well, hang on a minute. I'm actually pretty robust. So sometimes we just need reminding how robust we are. Hi, I'm Guy Rollison, and thanks for joining me on Brainstorm. My guest today is a warrior, though they'll probably never admit to it. 12 years in corporate banking and an end to a long-term relationship were just part of the impetus to turn to a life of adventure. Having completed one of the world's classic long-distance Himalayan treks, in excess of 160 kilometres in just nine days, knocking over the famed Kokoda Trail in just five, setting world records for the fastest woman to row one million metres on a rowing machine. She also just happened to be Australia's first woman to row any ocean solo when she conquered the Atlantic in 2019. That same year, she was awarded the Australian Geographic's Adventurer of the Year, just one of five women to ever receive the accolade. She's competed in triathlons, combined life as a massage therapist with her life as an extreme athlete. And if that's not enough, three days after her 50th birthday in 2022, my guest left the west coast of Mexico to row her boat Australian Maid to the east coast of Australia, a journey of around 14,000 kilometres to become the first woman to ever make the Pacific Ocean crossing solo, unassisted and non-stop. Michelle Lee, welcome. Wow, thanks, Guy. That's a pretty cool intro. You're amazing. Oh, I say I'm just someone that just wants, you know, I get the job done and I just do what I want to do. That's all there is to it. It's that simple. You're also just a little bit crazy, though, aren't you? Not certified, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if I got a dollar for every time I was called crazy, I'd be doing all right. Look, when most of us are sitting down breaking open our almond croissant, ordering our espresso macchiato, uh, bragging to our friends about how we clocked 10,000 steps walking the dog. You're clocking 14,000 Ks in what is essentially a seven-metre floating life support system, complete with your food, communications equipment, and your dreams on board at the peril of possibly the most treacherous stretch of ocean on the planet. At what point did you think to yourself, yeah, that sounds like a good idea? (laughs) Well, actually, on day 34 of 68, rowing across the Atlantic, I found myself saying, now, if I was to row the Pacific, and then I say, oh, but that's a big ocean. Why don't I just finish what I'm doing first? So I actually planted the seed way back on day 34, uh, where, you know, my mind started to wonder about how I would do this better. You know, you, you sort of... You're in a world of firsts, of course. You've never done anything like this. You take on the Atlantic. You're as green and naive as anything. Thank God for naivety, by the way. Um, and then while you're out there, you're discovering all these things that you could refine and tweak on your boat just to make the experience, you know, more bearable, more enjoyable. And, uh, you know, you're just learning all the time the things that don't work. You know, textbooks, they're crap. you got to get out. you got to live it. you got to do it. And, uh, and that's what you find. So, yeah, I was, I was in the middle of um, dead set. I was in the middle of the Atlantic when I decided that perhaps I might read the Pacific. Like I say, just a little crazy. Um, probably not the time to be making those calls when you're in the middle 
of, say, the Atlantic. But along those lines, what are some of the potential psychological challenges that those that are involved in extreme journeys, such as your own, might face being alone for such an extended period of time that you're aware of now, but you probably weren't aware of then? It was isolation. For me, that was a big one because I underestimated the effects of isolation. And, you know, let's let's go to the Atlantic. It's, you know, we hadn't gone down, down the path of lockdowns and whatnot, everything that COVID was. So uh, in um, the Atlantic, for me, isolation wasn't even a consideration. I just thought, oh, my God, this is going to be my haven. Imagine uh, having, you know, no overflowing inboxes. I can't be contacted. I can't have access to social media. I won't get hounded. You have, you know, all this indulgent, um, I, I guess, uh, first world um, demands free, you know, free from first world demands. So to me, it was going to be my haven. And I learned uh, probably by about day 23 that, you know, I was getting a little bit over me and I thought, is this all you've got? You know, you're actually a little bit boring. And it was, you know, by day 46, I certainly was struggling mentally on uh, the Atlantic Ocean. So it highlighted uh, the weaknesses that I hadn't considered. And uh, they talk about hallucinations and things, you know, for people that do these long-distance stem and endurance events where you are pushing boundaries, you're not recovering um, adequately, you are, you know, away from all your home comforts. I never, ever suffered with hallucinations. I don't know what people are talking about when they say that. I can't relate, but it's something that they tell you to be aware of and to think about. Um, but, yeah, for me, it, it's more about, you know, being able to manage the lack of recovery um, and having a mental toolbox, which I didn't have in the Atlantic. However, you know, when I made that firm decision, I'm going to row the Pacific, that was the number one thing I knew I had to work on was building a, a mental toolbox with some strategies and some go-to, and they, I knew they had to be tried and tested and proven before I embarked on the journey so that when I'm in those moments of, of despair or overwhelm, um, I knew that I had something to go straight to, apply the technique, and wow, voila. <laughs> because being alone with your thoughts for extended periods can be both enlightening and overwhelming. I get that. And it was seven months effectively in the Pacific Row, wasn't it? Um, so that solitude and zero human contact is, makes things very difficult. So did you engage in any mindfulness or meditation practices just to stay grounded and focused during the journey? And what strategies do you have in place um, just to maintain your rationality? Uh, yeah, so the um, meditation played a massive role. I was meditating for hours every single day. I had lots of different choices with guided meditation. Uh, my particular favourites came from uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Jose Silva, uh, Janine from uh, Silver Australia, Silver Method Australia. She recorded a whole heap of beautiful meditations for me. And um, and, you know, just some beautiful music that I could just send out to while I was rowing. So I use meditation breathing techniques as well and also a technique called EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, which is the tapping. So that's really, really good for in moments when 
uh, you are struggling with rationale, you are struggling with uh, being able to reason and logic the situation because you're talking it out, you're tapping it out. And um, yeah, so that was actually very effective. And um, just good old fashioned breathing techniques, you know, um, but also a big key um, uh, player was the sat phone. So being able to connect uh, verbally, you know, with uh, my people and my support crew, uh, having them on the end of the phone, that was huge. That was part of my mental toolbox. And I knew when I did the Atlantic, um, I didn't have like a 24-7 unlimited phone every time I was on the phone I was stressing about how many minutes I've used already you know so it was important this time that I have 24-7 unlimited and it was a game changer. And it wouldn't matter whether it's the Atlantic, Pacific, what role say does goal setting and maintaining that positive mindset uh, play during such epic journeys? Yeah it's huge and you know I just used to say to myself I've just got to get through the next shift so let's just let's just do the next shift come on we'll just do the next one and for me on the Pacific a shift was 11 or 12 hours so it wasn't broken down with you know uh, you you just do this next one or two hour shift no it was just so demanding and um that I never really took breaks. I would just, in the morning, I would line all my pots of food up next to me and uh, basically eat and row, eat and row. I really did not get off that chair unless I had to go to the toilet or turn on the water maker, you know, Um, just little things like that or jump on the radio. Like I didn't take breaks and I just used to make the deal, come on, we'll just get through this next shift. So that that worked. Um, And other... uh, you give yourself a bit of a reward system. You know, if I do this, this and this, then I'm allowed to go to locker number six. And, you know, in locker number six was where all the good stuff was. That's the stuff that had to be monitored and divvied out, unlike the Labrador brain that I have, which is, you know, there's no off switch. Um, So I did have to apply a little bit of discipline. And, of course, many of us do struggle with fear or anxiety when faced with uncertain or extreme conditions such as your own. Were there moments of doubt or anxiety during any of the trips? And and how did you overcome any of those? I think my most anxious time was the calm before the storm, when I was literally waiting for my very first cyclone. We knew that it was going to be coming across my path. And, uh, you know, I I was spending the two days prior prepping my boat in order to allow me to have to be locked up for anywhere between, at that stage, we thought maybe four days. It ended up being nine days. I was stuck in my cabin. So there was this moment uh, where there was just nothing in the atmosphere, no air. It was as still and as stifling and as quiet as anything. It was so eerie. The water was like glass. And it was hot. I have, you know, the sun beaming down on me. Then you've got the reflective sun off the water and the heat off the deck. You've got no air and it's so humid because it was a layer of clouds. So it's just everything felt heavy, wet and damp. And all of a sudden I just lost strength in my arms and I couldn't breathe. I felt like I had an elephant on my chest and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this must be anxiety. Like this is what people say. They feel like they can't breathe and they feel like they've got, you know, a weight on their chest and stuff. And 
I instinctively knew something just said, you need to get a grip and you need to get something into you. So, you know, I got off the phone from my weather router. I just told poor Rog, oh, my God, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. And he's saying, get some food into you and, you know, just go and relax, he said. Just, you know, I'm like, oh. So I did that. I just, you know, made myself a sweet drink, made myself eat a pot of food. And then I knew that I needed to be doing something. So I just thought, right, I'm going to put my meditation, guided meditation on because that was, I, I believe, I needed um call it distraction I guess in a way from what's going on right now and I had something telling me what to do so and I thought I'll just sit on the oars and I'll just tap away we're not worried about miles we're not worried about you know speed and pace at the moment let's just get through this and I also had uh, homeopathics uh, on board so my beautiful naturopath always sends me away whatever I do with a first aid medical kit of homeopathy and there's a vial in there called anxiety. Now, I only ever opened it that once. On that day, I took two of the little ampules, ate, drank, put the meditation on, sat there, went through the motions, and within 20 minutes, I was back at baseline. I had brought myself back to baseline. And, and I was like, wow. I mean, it was just such a powerful learning experience. And it just proved to me that when you have strategy, you will overcome, you can get through it, you know, and um, I, this is what I now would love to make people aware of, that uh, you struggle because you don't have a plan and you don't have the strategies in place. So, and I had tried and tested all this. Don't forget, it was not like the first time I've ever used it, but it was the first time in real um, scenario that I've had to use it, and it works. Which, which leads me to... The fact that I think we can all attest to the fact that mental strength is is often tested during prolonged periods of, of stress um, and and exertion. So, how did you manage to stay motivated and maintain that positive mindset despite the physical challenges? I know you mentioned you know you you had you know um, tapes and all those sort of things using old school vernacular to keep you on top, but it was every single day. Um, for for seven months, particularly with the Pacific, just how 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 did you stay motivated? There's moments that uh, just happen out of the blue. Uh, for example, a bird will just come and hover at eye level, and you just you're in such awe and wonderment of uh, this interaction with something that's just so off the cuff, you know, out of the blue spiritual you know your whole body will goosebump and or you'll see a pot of dolphins just come by um you know just witnessing even the stars at night so these are the things that would happen regularly enough frequently enough uh to i think it's all about raising your vibration and you know like i say these things that would just goosebump my whole body because i could recall that i'd be like sitting there at a time when, my, when I might be struggling and I'll just go back to that memory and go, oh, my God, how amazing was that? And, like, you know, then I'd remind myself what a privilege this is to be able to do this in my lifetime and witness this in its, you know, the it's just so raw, it's so natural. And I always used to refer to Mother Nature as um, runway ready and I used to get to see her in her, uh, you know, rawest natural form and, you uh, 
it's that's what actually would boost my motivation. It's being able to recall and being and knowing that it's going to happen again. I'm out there in their world, and you know it's it's going to happen again. So you sort of live in uh, like almost anticipation and, and excitement, and can't wait. And oh wow, what's going to be around the corner? You know what I mean? I know you mentioned that you had remote tactical support um, and, and a crew available to you. Um, but did you have a support system on tap when it came to those emotional and mental aspects of the trip or largely did you have to contend with that yourself along the journey? No, I had uh, such an amazing support crew that honestly I had access to them 24-7. All of them said, call me any time of the day, um, you know, so I knew that I could have someone on the end of the phone and because I had uh, a couple to go to, if one was, you know, not there someone else would be (laughs) so um together with uh there was a psychologist a sports psychologist there was um uh janine from jose silva with uh all of the techniques from there and also uh molly my naturopath and then even a couple of my friends you know they and roger my weather router um just the moral support that i would get from them on the end of the phone often that was enough uh, you know, they didn't have to be professionals, but they just to know that they were there and they were listening, uh, often that was adequate. But, um, you know, professionally, I definitely had um, a great team and crew who just, you know, they just said call any time. <laughs> um, mental health awareness is crucial, as we all know, and your extraordinary feats can inspire others to prioritize their well-being do you think there's a place to use your experience and raise awareness about the mental health challenges and encourage say open conversations about them yeah absolutely uh you know even you sort of look at the challenges that i had in getting to the start line um i was challenged every time i turned around there was just another challenge and you know these are the things where you know people say are you born resilient well i say no, resilience is built on all of those little challenges that come, which I actually call them opportunities. They, these are the opportunity for you to step up to the plate, take that good red hot, you know, have a good red hot crack at it. And uh, it's these that help you build the resilience. These are what will raise the bar, raise the ceiling every single time you come through, you triumph. And it's like, yes. And it's those moments that then, um, can make you realise we are so much more capable than we think. So you just have to keep building. It's like, you know, money in the bank. You just keep banking them. Every time there's another moment, celebratory moment, put it up there in the bank, recall it when you're struggling another time and go, well, hang on a minute, I came through this, this, this. And this. Reflection's great. Reflection is, is a, a really powerful tool, I think, to look where you've come from and where you are and go, well, hang on a minute. I'm actually pretty robust. So sometimes we just need reminding how robust we are. And uh, when you've got that clear vision and goal of where you want to go, um, I believe you can change your energy and your frequency and your vibration just by reminding yourself of, hang on a minute, that's right, I'm doing it because of, and when I achieve it, I'm going to feel or it's going to be, you know, so you connect emotionally to that goal which helps you stay on track. And, you know, I think um, at the end of the day, having the support network from um, 
people whom uh, you know you seek. So I say reach out. Don't be afraid to ask for help. That's really important. And I would never have achieved any of this. You know, we call it a solo, unassisted row. What a crock of crap, man. The amount of people who came on board and were helping me, but that was also a lesson for me, learning to ask for help, learning that people actually want to help. It's, it's human nature, actually. They love to be included. You know, people loved coming on this ride, thank God. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, ask for help because that's what we want to do. People want to help. You mentioned, you know, always ask for help. What insights or lessons did you gain about your own personal mental health and resilience? And how can that be translated into sharing that information with others who may be looking at their own personal challenges? Um, so I guess, look, I know I'm stubborn um, and I drew on that many times, you know, in the times where maybe others would have given up my stubbornness was enough to make me dig my heels in and go, no way. <laughs> or, you know, uh, the defiance, defiance, you know, people tell me you can't do that. I might smile sweetly and go, uh, you know, I, I don't particularly want the conflict, but in my thought bubble, if they could read it, it's like, screw you, I'll freaking show you. And, you know, so I, I draw on those sorts of traits, um, and they're very helpful in these kind of challenges. Um, and if I try and translate it into, you know, just every day, sort of Monday to Friday, nine to five, for me, I'd say know exactly where you want to go. Sit down. And so many people don't know what they want out of life. They actually have no clarity. Well, with that, you are going to be directionless and, and you know, you've you got nothing to fight for. You know, you're basically just going to take what, what's handed out and, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think just develop some clarity over where you want to go. And then it's amazing. Even uh, I love all my hardships. I love all the challenges I've had because when you're struggling, they are what you're going to draw on in order not to quit, you know. So for me, quitting was not an option because of just how hard I worked to get to the start line. So that's why I understand the struggle. So if you can understand the struggle in your, you know, getting to point B is going to be a very strong tool when it comes to times when you've got to dig that little bit deeper or, you know, you've got to fight to stay in the game. You can look back and go, well, I work so freaking hard to be here. I actually deserve to be here. So, you know, raising your self-worth, how can you do that? That's by uh, never giving up finding a way under, over and around. So your self-worth, you know, I, I guess I I had to build up my self-worth. You know, if I go back 10 years ago, I was not this person, you know. Um, and over time when I sort of realised I wanted more out of life and I didn't want to just stay in the queue and, and be handed, you know, what, what I'm given and I knew that I wanted a life less ordinary, uh, I had to reinvent myself. So, you know, start surrounding yourself with people who speak the language that uh, is going to help you our words are so powerful the self-talk you say oh I'm just shit oh, technology that's something that I have said for a long time and, and now that I'm more consciously aware I start I, I say I am getting better at coping with technology or you know um, so yeah it, it's all about your self-talk 
Uh, it's about your vision, uh, how much you want something and uh, surrounding yourself with the people who can, you know, support that. Sometimes it means you've got to ditch some people in your life and that's okay because it opens the doors for the other things that have to come into your life to make it happen. So what's next for Michelle Lee? Um, common question adventurers get asked, and often before we finish the last one, they want to know what's next. So uh, I'm actually going to be racing on board a 47-foot yacht called What's Next, <laughs> coincidentally. And um, so I'm going in the Sydney to Hobart. I'm going to be uh, – I'm the 12th crew member, actually, uh, on board Sydney to Hobart. So training has just begun and uh, I've just met half the crew. Uh, we've still got another half to meet. Um, so, you know, new skills will be learned. I'm not a sailor. And uh, I said to them at the end of this, I want to be a confident, competent sailor because I do have – another event on my radar, which is a solo sailing event in a 5.8 metre vessel that you build yourself. So the idea is everybody buys the plans, you build your own boat, and at the start line we are all racing apples with apples. No one's advantaged because they've got a bigger keel or a bigger mast or whatever. So uh, that's got a lot of appeal and um Typically, I obsess over things until it gets to a point where I think, oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to die wondering. So that's, you know, my motto is don't die wondering. Just say yes and just do it. Well, I'm about to go to that cafe for the macchiato and almond croissant and feel quite inadequate after all that. Michelle, congratulations on what's been an absolutely incredible recent achievement, but on everything you've set yourself everything that's down the road, uh, everything that you're about to conquer as well, more power to you and best of luck with whatever the future brings. Darling, thanks, Guy, and congratulations on your podcast as well, Brainstorm. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for informational purposes and not intended as a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis or treatment. For questions about your own emotional health and well-being, please consult a medical professional.